Hi, I'm Tisha, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to support the work we are doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Thank you so much for joining us today on Now What? Uh, We have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Stephanie Reed. And Stephanie is a mom of two girls who she would describe both of them as survivors. So her youngest is actually a cancer survivor. And her oldest, she describes as um, being a survivor of the horrible effects of what, you know, the family went through as her little sister went through treatment. And I first met Stephanie when I was actually a teacher at her daughter's school. And when her youngest daughter entered grade one, I had the privilege of being her teacher. And I got to meet Stephanie and just realized what a remarkable person she is. And so when Jen and I were thinking of people that we wanted to have on the show, I immediately thought of Stephanie because she has such a great story of of overcoming trauma. And her, her spirit is such a testament to the strength that we can pull from these hard times that we have in our life. So Thank you so much, Stephanie, for actually agreeing to be on our show. Oh, thank you for thank you for reaching out. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate being. I, I really appreciate talking about this stuff because I think that's the number one um, takeaway that I would say is is talking, and and it's a huge step to healing. So I appreciate the opportunity to discuss these things anytime. Um, because I think that it uh, really helps to heal myself. So, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons we started this podcast is through these these kinds of stories are healing, not only for the people telling them, but I think the people hearing them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, um, why don't you tell us a bit about your story? Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but... um, both my girls, like I said, are survivors. Um, Keaton, my youngest one, who's now 10, um, was diagnosed with cancer at the age of two. So, um, you know, we went through that whole journey with her and, um, you know, I had my other daughter and, you know, life goes on for everybody around you, but life sort of stands still from that moment of hearing your child has cancer. Um, you go through this experience kind of with blindfolders on, I felt like where it was on adrenaline, it was just constant adrenaline. Um, you just kind of survive through it. And um, what I found to be the hardest, I mean, aside from the fact of watching my daughter fight for her life was um, the end of treatment and navigating the world that I no longer knew as a mom of two daughters. It was now a mom of a daughter who had survived cancer. And how do we begin to clean up um, what destruction cancer had 
brought upon our family. And it was really shocking to me um, when she finished treatment, how much work needed to be done for myself and for my family um, to heal from everything that we experienced and everything that my daughter experienced um, while on treatment. It sounds like you go from like survival mode to then now, now, well, now what, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I, I love the analogy of, you know, someone just kind of pulling the safety net out from under you because you become almost accustomed to um, the doctors, the nurses, the blood work. Um, like you, you constantly get like a breakdown of how your children are doing um, you know, biologically, you can see, you know, is their counts going up? Are they not? You know, how are their neutrophils? Like all of the things that sort of they watch for with these kids. And when treatment finishes, that stuff still continues, but it's not as frequent. So you're left to sort of deal with all the quiet. And while you're going through the chaos of, of your child being ill, it's not quiet. Um, it's traumatic, it's scary, it's um, it's very loud, I think, for a lot of the younger kids because they can't vocalize properly what they're feeling, they're in pain, so there's a lot of screaming. And so all of those things um, sort of lay the groundwork for the crumbling that I, I think happens when, the crumbling of yourself that happens when you find out that your child is is cleared from cancer. Um, and I will say just to kind of, you know, be be mindful is that I'm coming at this place from my child being a survivor. And I won't for a second ever pretend that I understand what it's like to lose a child to cancer. I don't. Um, I, I, my heart breaks just even thinking about that for other moms and other families. So what I say is, you know, representative of how I felt with a child who survived. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, you know, put that out there and be mindful of any parents that maybe, you know, had lost a child to cancer. So, um, you know, I'm just, I, I can't speak to that. So well, I think as a disclaimer overall for the podcast, it should be, um, that these are people's individual stories and they're not representative yeah. of everyone that's gone through something similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I know you certainly, um, Keaton had some friends who, who didn't survive. Right. And I know mm -hmm. that you had some relationship with, with moms that, that did lose their children. And so their journey yeah. is definitely going to look different than yours. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, you know, one of the things that Jen and I noticed because we had our own sort of traumatic experiences is that there were certain things I guess that were similar in terms of some of the emotions that we had mm -hmm. and some of the difficulties that we had dealing with that afterwards even though yeah. it's very different um and even we've talked before and just listening to some of the way things that you were describing about how you felt um, I know I could certainly relate to some of that, and I'm sure that uh, Jen could as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Like- For sure. I am, uh, I'm a huge advocate of um, sort of discussing the stuff that I think happens more frequently than a lot of people, a lot of parents in, in this journey, I think, understand. Um, and that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, but severe PTSD um, about six months after Keaton finished treatment. And, you know, looking back to the timeline, um, six months after she finished treatment was when sort of everything started to calm down a little bit. So hospital visits, you know, were going to now once a month as opposed to every couple of weeks or, you know, every week, depending on how she was doing. Um, I, I didn't have the constant pull of needing to make sure that I was remembering to give her medications or her chemos at night or her steroids or whatever, you know, protocol she was on. So everything that I had pent up for the last, my daughter was on treatment for just over two and a half years, um, kind of fell apart. And it was a very scary experience. Um, I am lucky enough to have been able to recognize in myself that I was no longer um, doing okay. Um, I was holding it together. I I knew I was starting to to change, Um, but I knew thankfully that um, I was in a place that was was very dangerous. Um, I started to dissociate. I started to have Bouts of rage and, and extreme like you know, sadness and and anxiety over you know the future. Um, certain noises like my daughter crying or my daughter screaming, even from laughter, um, would set me off into a place where um, I wasn't necessarily in check with reality. And that's really hard when you have young kids because. They're laughing, they're playing. Um, and if you're just kind of not really processing what's happening and, and your body is, you know, your mind is kind of taking over from the trauma from before, you can't parent through that. You can't, um, you can't live life in that, that mind frame. It's so... It's so incredibly dangerous because rationally you're just not there um, physically. Like it was just, I was exhausted. I had, you know, it held it together, and then you just fall apart. And and um, yeah, so it's a it's a really scary place to be. And I think I I I'm glad that I had enough sense to be able to see that I was changing. I just wish that somebody had have been watching me as much as I had been watching Keaton and my daughter and even my husband um, to see how they were doing. And uh, nobody was. Nobody was was really looking at how I how I was really um, falling apart. And looking back now, there were so many times where somebody but it stepped up and said, are you okay? Like, yeah. Or you're not okay. Yeah. Or you're, or you're not okay. Or, um, 
you know, I, I've noticed this and can I help you? Um, somebody that understood. And I think that was one thing that I really struggled with as well is that even if it was well-intended from somebody else saying, you know, are, are you okay? There just wasn't that level of understanding what are you okay would mean for a parent who's just watched their child go through two and a half years of treatment, right? That okay would be different from somebody else going through um, another situation, right? So I just wish that somebody who had gone through it could say to me or had said to me, look, like, watch yourself for this, watch yourself for that. Um, I'm here and I get it, right? I understand that, like, the anger towards the resentment towards, you know, the cancer for the last two and a half years, everything it took, right? Um, but nobody, nobody was discussing that at that point. So we're kind of just left to navigate this, these, these rocky waters by yourself. It sounds really lonely. And like a lot of people probably were, were focusing on Keaton because she was the patient and she was the one who was sick. And as you said, really the cancer impacted your whole family, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, it, sound it like- definitely, it has, it has a ripple effect. So you have the child and, and, you know, rightfully so all of the resources go to that child you know, the, the doctors and, and um, the psychologists and everybody did such a phenomenal job with, with Keaton. They, you know, everybody was just, I, I couldn't have asked for a better team when, when it came to her treatment. Um, but the problem is, is that there's a whole team behind that child. And there's a whole um, disconnect that starts happening because everybody is so focused on the child. And, and that's even myself included. There was a disconnect from myself. There was a disconnect from my other daughter. There was a disconnect from my husband. Um, everything you, you have, every ounce of your being is, is focused on the sick child. Um, so again, when all of that stops, everybody sort of falls apart. Like, my, my older daughter, you know, really, really struggled emotionally. And there was a lot of really painful things that, that she experienced that um, she had held in for three years. She had um, kept it to herself because she didn't want to see me cry anymore. And that's a child who is saying, I'm going to put who I am and what is hurting me aside because I don't want to see my mom cry. Well, who's there at the end of the day or the end of treatment, you know, when everybody's falling apart to lift the whole family up? So that was one thing that I, I really um, struggled with. And I really, um, it, it really determined what my purpose in life was, which is something that I know we had discussed before where I wouldn't take away um, any of the lessons that I learned um, from Keaton's cancer. I would take her cancer away in a second, but I would never take away the things that I learned. And one of them is that through this, I discovered what I wanted to do with my life. And, and 
how I wanted to give back to um, this community that is just having a really tough time after already going through a really tough time. So I think as like someone on like the outside, um, it's very easy to, you know, hear that a child is well and to just, the hard part was the cancer and it's gone. So like, Yay. Party. Yay. And, and, and aren't me, you so yeah. happy? And, and I, you yeah. know what? I have to say, um, because we're not sure how these are going to air, um, but I believe you would have heard Chisha's story by now. <laughs> um, so there are some similarities um, between your stories. And, and I was somebody who was there for Tisha during mm-hmm. all of that. And there was definitely a part of me that was like, oh, she's good. Mm-hmm. you know and as I talked to her it, and we, we were together yeah. like you, you kind of learn a little bit more but 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 still in my mind I don't even know that until I went through my own trauma did I even begin to understand exactly yeah the depths of you're how good a, someone could be yeah and, and you're in such a state of shock from any um any trauma that happened so like one thing I did do that I, I, I encourage other parents to do quite often is research PTSD, research like the symptoms that you're having or how you're feeling. And I found it extremely empowering to learn um, what I was going through. From, I mean, there isn't a lot of, there wasn't, I mean, it's definitely coming out more, which is phenomenal, but there wasn't a lot of talk about PTSD in the the parents or the children affected by the childhood cancer. There was PTSD for the child, um, but there wasn't for the surrounding support support system. So I started noticing little things like just my inability to sleep or, you know, like the beeps at the hospital would send like shivers down my spine and, and I would just like start sweating and, you know, I would forget where I was for a second. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, what is happening to me? And once they started to learn that those were like, you know, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, I was like, okay, I need to learn more about this. I need to, I need to empower myself to, um, to figure this out because nobody's going to figure it out for me. And right now I don't even have the chance to go and talk to somebody. Like I didn't have a chance, like when my daughter was sick to be like, okay, I'm going to go sit down with a therapist, right? Yeah. I probably could have put the time in, but you're so focused. It's almost like you need Mm -hmm. someone who tells you that when you're in it, because you, Mm -hmm. as a parent, how can you see outside of this, keeping this little person Mm -hmm. alive? Yeah. And And even like going with the similarities with my own story, like when I was um, going through like my treatment and going to hospitals and all of that, I was just focused on getting to the next appointment and everything felt like in two weeks, like I had one thing and then wait two weeks for the results. And then in two weeks, we're going to call you. And then in two weeks, we're going to, and like everything was always two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. So I was just living for those next, the next test, the next person, like waiting for my surgery to happen, waiting for my follow-up appointments, whatever. And I did kind of know at the time 
I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to need to see a therapist about this. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I just need to focus on getting well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that's the right approach. As you've said, like I probably could have made time to see a therapist, but um, nobody really suggested that I do it at the time. Yeah. And I just felt like I just need to get through this. I just need to focus on my appointments. And, um, you know, when they told me that I was, I didn't need any more treatment, it wasn't, I thought it was going to be like this moment, like, oh, yay, everything's like, I was waiting for that moment. Everything's going to go back to normal. And it wasn't, it was very not normal, which is exactly what you're describing, right? Yeah. That I feel like it, I feel like there's also this expectation that things are going to go back to the way they were. And it's almost like, I, I kind of giggle to myself sometimes when people say, you know, COVID, when that ends, we're all going to go back to normal. And, you know, I think the hardest thing for me with COVID was going back into the isolation that we were already in when Keaton was sick. So we've done this. We've done the masks. You know, Tisha, like you've done the hand sanitizer. You've done the, you know, like changing your clothes when you get from home from the hospital. Like that hypervigilant um, routine that you get into to protect yourself from viruses, right? And knowing that when Keaton was on treatment, I remember watching people that were too close to her talking and visualizing viruses like flying at her. And I was, and I remember thinking at that time, like, this is awful. Like, this is not how I want to live. Um, I don't want to live thinking just people hugging her or talking to her could possibly make her very sick, right? Um, But those are the sort of things that I think go through our minds when we're critically ill or have somebody close to us that's critically ill. Like your whole perspective on life changes sometimes for the better, but it also changes sometimes where you can't even look at normal things like conversations and and see it as, as a normal thing. So there's no going back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, I'm glad you brought up COVID because I wonder, you brought up like the similarities of how you guys were living Mm -hmm. before to like what, what a lot of what we've kind of been forced into with COVID. Did it, did it, do you feel like it reactivated your PTSD? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. I actually had to, um, recon, like get in contact with, um, a therapist that I did find probably about a year and a half ago um, that I really, really meshed with. And and I think that's another takeaway from this is I, for so long, um, was really craving somebody who could tell me that they understood. So I really wanted to talk to a professional that had a child that was sick. Um, I really wanted somebody to say like, I understand. Um, and I, I ended up finding somebody that didn't have this, but had more, you know, trauma-based um, therapy. And she did wonders for me. But that took like almost four and a half years to find her. Um, but I just kept trying. You know, I just, I kept trying. And I did have to contact her um, probably about six months again into COVID because 
it was overwhelming for me. Just the, the isolation, the um, lack of socialization, my kids, you know, having to stay home from school. And, you know, that's another thing that, you know, affects the siblings is they miss out on a lot. They miss out on birthdays. They miss out on gatherings, like with family and friends, like that stuff all stops too. So again, you, over these years, you have all these memories, but you also have a lot of things missing, which is, is really sad. And, and you think about all those things when treatment is done. Like, Keisha, I don't know if that was the same for you as well, but like, you know, even after a year, you're like, oh man, I miss, you know, birthday this year for so-and-so, or, you know, we didn't get to do like that family event that we always do every year. So that sort of stuff was really hard to kind of process afterwards too. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, you know, I've had enough conversations with you that um, you've sort of revealed that you kind of have like some mom guilt about some of those things, mm-hmm. especially like regarding your older daughter, right? Like yeah. you, know, you just said like she didn't get to go to her friend's birthday parties, mm-hmm. right? She missed out on so much. Um, yeah. What's that like? Oh, man. Mom guilt is like, it's a horrible thing. I, I think all moms have it um, yeah. about anything. It can be about, oh my God, I sent my kids too many treats this week to school, right? Um, mom guilt, I feel like from a cancer perspective is really challenging because you go through periods um, where you, it doesn't matter who tells you, doctors, pharmacists, psychic, it doesn't matter who tells you that you didn't cause it. There is an overwhelming um, feeling that you made this child um, and you did something. Was it during pregnancy? Was it during, you know, their first year of life or whenever your child's diagnosed? Was I under too much stress, right? All those things. So there was a lot of guilt um, with having to watch her be sick. Um, because you think you, you cause it, um, there's a lot of guilt, you know, and again, I don't know how much is talked about that. I, I don't think nobody talked to me about this when Keaton was sick, but the guilt of having to leave my oldest daughter in the middle of the night and rush Keaton to the hospital and, and coming home a week and a half later to see me. And, you know, it was hard because at that point, you know, we had put Mika back in school. So very much like COVID, like what could she bring home to Keaton? Um, So there was the guilt and, and that normal sort of bond that you have with your child um, that was really, and still is to this day, like I'd be lying if I didn't say that um, it still doesn't, it, it still really hurts to think about the moments that I missed out with Nico or the abandonment issues that, you know, she's really struggled with because her life got flipped upside down. One day mommy was there and then mommy was gone for three weeks and then she went to bed and mommy was there. And then, you know, mommy's not there in the morning. And, you know, it's just, it's hard for a child, especially like the age of four five and six to wrap their head around the fact that you're not doing this to them on purpose. Right. And that it has nothing to do with how much love you have mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It can be hard, I think, too. Yeah. So they to explain it. that to a child, right? Yeah. 
And so it would have been, you know, would I have been able to um, receive it at the time? I don't know if someone had said, you know, that this mom guilt is, is really bad, but it's normal, right? And, and so many parents feel this. And does it make it easier? Absolutely not. Does it make it, you know, something that makes it okay? No, absolutely. But just knowing that I wasn't feeling that like alone, I wasn't going through that by myself, um, would have kind of been great to know from somebody who had been through it. Mm -hmm. I, I think something that I learned through my own experience is just having someone say that they see you. Mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. we, we can't, I mean, a lot of times, even if we've been through very similar situations, like we can't, we never know how someone else feels, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, but like, you know, I see you, I see what you're going through. I see how hard mm -hmm. it is. Um, you know, and yeah. maybe, maybe I've been there if it's somebody who has, but, but just, I, I, I always reference the idea of like sitting in the mud, like, you just want someone to sit in the mud with you. Yeah. And then it's, and then it's okay. Like, um, you know, it's okay to feel like you caused this. Mm -hmm. Is it right? No, but the feeling that's, you know, and even though doctors tell you, don't think that all of a sudden you're going to be like, okay, you're right. No. Um, you know, and, and, being able to talk about things that are really hard, like the fears, is my child going to die? That goes through our head every single day of probably every moment of every day that's going through our head. But it's such a challenging thing for people to talk about, understandably. But so who, who are we talking to? About that? Because you feel like, too, if you say it, then it does it make it true, right? So acknowledging that that's a feeling that that parents have um, is very important because it's happening, but no one's talking about it. Right, and that fear is there, and nobody's acknowledging mm -hmm. the fear. And as you said, I think people can be a little bit superstitious in yeah. terms of you know saying to somebody, "Are you afraid?" that she might die. I mean, people aren't going to say that to you because there is a little bit of a superstition that if I say it, I'm going to make it, make it be happen somehow. Yeah. Yeah. But just to right? know that somebody understands that feeling, just to know like that another parent thought those exact same things at that exact same time that their child was going through these things. I didn't, you know, I knew that people had probably thought about it, but nobody really said, I know what you're thinking and it's okay. It's okay to think that it's, it's not wrong of you. And, and it's, it's okay. I so, think there's so much. And one of my own personal missions or reasons for this podcast is we live in a very like, like death averse culture. Mm -hmm we're all going to die. 
And obviously you don't want, nobody wants a child, any, you know, like we want people to live as long as they're supposed to live and have these amazing Mm -hmm. full lives. But obviously you're going to think about it in those situations, but, Mm -hmm. but it's so uncomfortable to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, and even just, you know, it's really hard, even as a, a parent who's gone through this with Keaton, um, even sometimes to acknowledge the parents who have lost their kids and, and you feel like you're going to hurt them by saying it. But the truth is, is that no, you're actually keeping the spirit of their child alive. And, and, you know, you're there thinking about the child all the time. Yeah. So again, it's a hard thing and, and I'm not even sure how to navigate that sometimes, but um, in my situation, if somebody had a said, I, I know what you're thinking and, and it's okay. Do you want to talk about it? Probably would have said no, but at least I would have felt like, okay, they actually like, there's a burden off me because somebody also knows what I'm thinking. And so- somebody's noticing me and noticing, like yeah. Jen was saying, like, she just wants to be seen sometimes, mm-hmm. um, just to have someone sort of acknowledge that you're going through a hard time and as you said and acknowledge the the whole family unit right that's Mm -hmm. really going through it Um, yeah and you know I think it's so important and so special that you're that you're talking about it now and saying like these are the things that I thought about that people didn't want to mention or that maybe you didn't even feel comfortable talking about at that time right um but I would like to think that maybe somebody else is listening to what you're saying and finding some healing in that and hearing somebody say you know these are the things that I didn't know how to talk about at the time and these are the Mm -hmm. thoughts that I had that weren't acknowledged and I think it's really important that we share these stories I think it's really brave that you are telling us that and and admitting you know how scared you were and how scared you continued to be even after her treatment stopped even to this day if the fear never goes away like Keaton you know um, like I had said before Tisha how much I appreciate um, you and, and this kind of leads into another thing where you know it's so important to find people that whether or not they understand they're also willing to meet you where you're so when he was done treatment um, in your class actually I think she was still she still had some appointments um, and you allowed me to volunteer in the classroom and so that that safety net was still there because I was still able to engage with her. I was able to kind of see Mika at school. Um, and, you know, I had the privilege to be able to do that. Um, and I, I fully acknowledge that that couldn't be what everybody could do. But for me, that was so therapeutic um, because you gave me the gift of spending normal time with my child too. Because Aww. for the last three years, I didn't have that with her. There was nothing normal about, you know, watching my child get chemo. There was, 
nothing yeah. formal about, you know? And so those are some of my favorite memories. Even though I was struggling so bad with PTSD, those memories in my head are so vivid of seeing my kids at, at the school and seeing, you know, Mika walk down the hall and run and give me a hug and, and Keaton come, you know, in her classroom and be able to work, you know, side by side. And also at the same time, eliminate some anxiety with how is she doing during the day? Like this is her first time really in the real world because, you know, JK and SK was so challenging for her. She missed so much of it, but, um, you know, grade one was really her first like integration into the real world where it's like, I'm away from my mom for the first time. And oh my gosh, how old are the kids in grade one? Like seven, six, six. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, in six years, that was her, her first time. So it was so nice to be able to just have those moments and be surrounded by you and your understanding and your compassion and your empathy towards, you know, maybe oh. something that, yeah, a lot of people just would say, oh, she's fine now. She's great. You know, yes, she is, but I'm not, I'm not ready and to. I think that's a little bit what I thought too. I remember having this little girl in my class and just being like, oh my gosh, she's like such a little miracle that she's been through this and and here she is and she's healthy and she's in my class and she would like write about her experiences. And when we did show and tell, like these are the things that she talked about. So I think, I mean, I had some is that that word frozen and that that was important for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize how important it was. To and I guess just goes to show that like sometimes you really don't know what people are going through and sometimes you really don't know how just being nice to people (laughs) can go a long way. But listening to you now, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she got to see her little girl be a little girl and do what little girls do. She got to see her daughter, you know, get dressed to go outside for recess and, and Mm -hmm. color and write and, tell stories and do her show and tell and you came on field trips with us and you kind of got to you had the privilege really of seeing her do those things that I guess you really probably had hoped she would do one day yeah I mean that was again another thing will I see her um graduate senior kindergarten and it's funny I hear so many parents you know it's just senior kindergarten and I bawled so bad at her senior at like senior kindergarten and all these you know there was some parents that didn't know what Keaton had been through so they were looking at me like this crazy woman like she's going into grade one but I was sitting there thinking I never knew if she'd actually make it to grade one right so I it was just it was so nice and and that's why um I think it's also so important to talk about these things and And I was very vocal about childhood cancer all the way through Um, because before Keaton was diagnosed, I didn't really think about it. I didn't really um, acknowledge that even it was even something that could happen, Um, you know, and uh, I think it's so important to give those little people voices and sometimes they can't speak on it. 
And so as their parents, we have to advocate for them. And I think part of advocating is, is letting people know that, that this sort of stuff happens. And, and these things are going on every day in, in families that you, know, you may or may not know or families that you do know. And the more that we can help these families and the more that we can empower these children to um, speak up about you know, the things that they're going through, the traumas and, and the challenges that the family is facing, the more that we're gonna be able to have kids that are more resilient too. Right? They're going to be able to talk about these things and know that it's okay. It's, it's okay to, to really have a really hard time in your life. But through love and support and finding people who um, bring you up in whatever way, whether it's allow you to go into the kindergarten class or, you know, people would give me hugs in the grocery store when they saw Keaton with like her bald head. Um, and you with things. yours. Yeah. Stephanie also Even shaved that, her right? head when Keaton lost yeah. her hair. Oh. And I did because you know what? That was the only thing that I could do to understand what she was going through. Yeah. And I think that I'm a, an empathetic person. I hope that other people think the same thing. But um, I just, that was the only thing that I could do. I couldn't take the treatment. I couldn't take the pain and the needles. But I could shave my head. And so we had our bald heads together and, you know, a couple girlfriends shaved their heads with me and, and it was the most amazing experience I've ever gone through. I mean, like thinking not having hair is something that, you know, you could do something, but I learned so many lessons from that. Well, and you, you, you showed this tiny human who there was probably, even if there were words you could say, she wouldn't have understood them anyway right mm -hmm. like she wouldn't have really fully grasped them not to say the two-year-olds don't understand things because we know <laughs> that's not true as moms sometimes more than sometimes more than us <laughs> um but I wanted to just you, you kind of started to to you know touch on a little bit of like where you are now and I just kind of wanted to transition um into what 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 does your next chapter look like you you are um you you advocate you're very vocal I know you're in school again yeah I went I went back to school so um it's been a long time coming and I you know as a mom I think all of us can say this we wait for the perfect moment and um I waited until things kind of had calmed down with Keaton and I said okay you know get her to five years and and then I think I can take a breath. And for some people that's, you know, get them to the end of treatment. For me, it was like, I just, I needed to see that five years. And then there was a world pandemic. So of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's actually funny how it worked. I, um, I uh, applied to school and it's been amazing. So I'm going back for social work and my goal is to eventually get into the hospital or you know, start a practice where I can work with parents and children who have been affected by childhood cancer because I needed somebody so desperately when I was so sick and really struggling. And um, I, I just, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through, where it was like, here, take this medication. We don't know where to put you. We don't know how to help you. Um, 
You just need to figure it out, right? And that was an emergency service. Um, so I just don't, I don't ever want any other parents to have to feel that it was awful. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, I'm really, I'm looking forward to this, this next chapter because it's, again, it's been um, very therapeutic learning how to help others um, through trauma and how to help others through, you know, justices and um, situations that are extremely challenging. It's helped me mm -hmm. in the short time since I've been back in school. So I'm really, really looking forward to. That's so great, Stephanie. And I think that's, um, I think it's a perfect role for you and a perfect job for you and I think that what you're saying is so important because um, in in situations like yours and others there are so many people who just feel alone and they don't know how to get help they don't know where the resources are to get to find help or where to even begin and that's really part of what a social worker really does right yeah. um, and that sounds like you kind of feel like there were some gaps yeah for you there I think again, it's it's hard, right? Like when you're in, when you're immersed in the the trauma or the you know incident that you're going through, that's that's really challenging. It's really hard to think long term. It's really hard to think, what do I need right now? Um, because you don't know. You're so immersed in trying to, like you said, get to the next week or survive to the next two weeks or the appointment or you know everything is sort of in increments. So I wish that um, I had somebody saying, invest a lot more time into working with your social worker that's set up with um, the child. Or, you know, find your people that you can laugh with. Um, find, find the people that you're okay to say what's really going on in your grief. Um, because that's so important. Um, it's so vital for everybody to be able to feel like they can actually feel what they're feeling, say what they need to say in a safe place. So whoever that is, it, it's, I, I say, keep, keep pushing until you find it. And eventually you will find somebody. So that's such a great message and such great advice for really anyone going through hard times. Thank you so much. Stephanie. Thank you. We are so appreciative that you we're willing to do this with us. Um, I know I learned a lot from you and I really hope other people will. And um, you, I feel very strongly that you'll be very good in your next career. I was going to say too, that if there is people struggling with this and they don't know, I, I'm, I get, I'm 100% open to talking to people about this stuff. I think it's, um, it's very important. So there'll be information on how you can reach out to Stephanie and follow her on social in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.